You may be seated and turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And as you open your pew Bibles and look at the words of Christ, I will read through the first 12 verses again. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let us pray. Holy Fathers, we come before your word again this day. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take these words. Let there be the inward call come today to break cold, dead hearts and to heal wounded, bleeding hearts. Father, we just pray that you would bless your word to your people. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we said last time, Christ is here explaining what a repentant life looks like. Christ is here teaching us about what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Those that are in the kingdom of heaven, those that have been born of the Spirit, this is what they look like. And this is what the king looks like, the king of this kingdom. If you turn over and you look at the end of the sermon in chapter 7, it ends with a song. Do you all know what song this ends with? Kids should know this one. The wise man built his house upon a rock. That's the song that we sing and that we love to sing. And this sermon ends with a children's song. And it's fitting because the kind of character it takes to enter this kingdom is a childlike spirit. It also ends saying that the people were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished at his doctrine because this Lord is teaching something that is the opposite to the way you think. He's teaching us something that's opposite to the way the world thinks. It's, it's astonishing what he's teaching. He's teaching us about a culture and a kingdom that is from another planet. Another universe, another realm. And it's hard for us to understand this. And so it's astonishing as we read these words that he is teaching us. And I would just want to emphasize here it says, and he opened his mouth and taught them in verse 2 that when you look at the verb there, that is an imperfect verb, which means. That teaching 
continues. And because this is God's inspired word and the Holy Spirit is present, He's still teaching you today. And so every time you read this, if you're born in the Spirit, Christ is teaching you. He continues to teach you and teach us every time we present ourselves to the Word of God. Isn't that great? That's what's wonderful about the Word of God is it never gets old. It's always exciting. These words are always leaping from the page and entering into our heart, stirring our mind, our heart, and our will. And so this astonished Christ, the astonished teaching of Christ comes, and He comes into the world, and it's, it, and it's it, like it changes the price tags on what we value. I was reading an article this week that talked about the most common form of theft today in Walmart and all these stores is where people go in and they take the price tag off of one thing and they put it on another. I even heard this illustration used in a sermon where uh, referencing something that actually happened in the past. There was a burglar actually went in to a jewelry store and somehow uh, many, uh, many, many years ago and was able to change the price tags off of a, a cheap piece of jewelry and put it on a, you know, a diamond ring. And he did that throughout these different pieces of jewelry in the store valuable things and the next day he came in and he bought all this stuff and walked out well Christ is coming into our lives and he comes into this world and he's changing the price tags and he's saying what you value is wrong here's what's really valuable and what's really valuable in our lives is spiritual things because your soul is going to live forever somewhere someday when you take your last breath, you're going to step through the veil to the other side. And what you valued in this world is going to prove at that moment whether you had faith or not. The true thing to be valued is forgiveness of sins. If we don't have forgiveness of sins, that moment after we breathe our last... It's going to be terrifying. We spoke last time of this blessedness that he's talking about. Nine times the word blessed is, is used here. It means living in God's presence, which is to be in the presence of joy and happiness and peace. As little children living in the presence of him. In Psalms 32, 1, David, which is Christ, the Spirit of Christ speaking, said... Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the person under whom God does not count their sin against them. Isn't that great? I mean, that's our hope. That Christ raised from the dead and is seated on the right hand of God. And any sin that I will ever commit or have committed or will commit has been paid for. That's to be blessed. To understand that is to understand true value. The Spirit is teaching us now through this sermon here on the Mount about true faith. True faith has an emptying effect. True faith has an emptying effect. It empties 
the soul of self. Self-absorption, self-will. And then this true faith shows your soul the disease that it has. A soul that is always murmuring and complaining. A soul that's always seeking its own way. And when that light comes on and God gives us that faith and we're born of the Spirit, we see the horror of our sin. And we, standing there in the presence of perfection, God Himself, we understand we deserve to be destroyed. And we fall astonished at His feet in wonder, thinking, why hasn't He destroyed me? Laying there mourning and grieving, completely emptied, and being awakened and wondering why we haven't been destroyed is the place of compliant submission and amazement that is the grace of meekness, which we'll talk about today. Blessed are the meek. The meek inheritors. And as we said last time, each one of these graces looks like a step down to the world, but it's a step up in the kingdom of God as we become emptied of self, we can be made something beautiful. I quoted this last time, I believe. Watson said this, as the best creature, which is you, the best creature, as you were made out of nothing, so when you come to see yourself as nothing in comparison to Christ, out of this nothing, He makes a beautiful creature. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You will be teachable in every moment of your day when you are living in His joyful presence, understanding you will inherit what He inherits. And my purpose today is to just show you that you will be teachable in every moment of your day as you live in His joyful presence. How are we to do that? How are we to learn this? Well, first, we need to understand meekness. So let's define meekness first. In classical Greek, the word used for meekness here was the idea of taming a horse. It was where the breaking and training of a horse it's two things the first the horse has to first be broken and then the training actually never ceases on a horse and so this word means the breaking the taming of a horse where the strength the heart and the will of a horse is brought under rein for a greater purpose A horse has great strength and beauty, but unless that strength and beauty is harnessed, it can't be used aright. There's a great poetic illustration of this 
in Job chapter 39 and verse 19. Job gives this illustration. It's, it's the Lord actually giving this illustration. He says, have you given the horse strength? This is the big, all the questions that God was asking Job. Have you given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with thunder? Can you make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He pawed in the valley and rejoiced in his strength. He goes to meet the armed men. He mocks at fear and is not afraid. Neither does he turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him, the glittering spear and the shield. He swallows the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believes he that it is the sound of the trumpet. He says among the trumpets, Ha ha! And he smells the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. This harnessed horse is so strong and courageous in battle, it's not afraid to rush right into spears and swords and the sound of war. Meekness is strength under control. And when your passions, your desires, when your thinking and your thoughts and your will, what you choose to do, are harnessed by God's grace and love, you will be the most strong person in the world. You will be able to be the, the Lord's war horse and to not be afraid of anything that's coming your way any day. So this meekness is strength under control. It has the idea of mildness of spirit, gentleness of disposition. It's the opposite of self-will toward God and ill-will toward men. Matthew Henry. It is to accept every event in your day as God's dealing with you for good without anger or irritation. How are you doing with that? Meekness is connected to lowliness. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you. That's a command, by the way. That's an imperative. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. So we take the yoke, we take the bridle, we take the reins upon us, and we learn of Him who's perfect in meekness and perfect in strength. Meekness is strength under control. Isn't that why we're not consumed? Because He's perfectly meek? It is of the Lord's mercies. Lamentations chapter 3. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. That's why we lie in amazement at His feet, being poor and empty and saying, why hasn't He consumed me? Lord, do with me whatever You will. Thank You for having mercy on me and loving me and sparing me. Thank You for playing my sin debt. Lord, I'm Yours to do with whatever You want.
And so our stubbornness and our arrogance and our pride and our self-will must be broken and brought under the control of He who loves us. We must submit to the reins. I was thinking about that word reins and you know that appears in the King James and several of the Psalms, particularly Psalm 16:7, for example. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. And uh, I'd always, when I see that word reins, I'm always thinking, you know, horse reins. But the actual word, I think it applies, by the way. But the actual word means kidneys. Or seat of emotion. In the Middle East, the kidneys was the seat of the emotion. We say the heart. And so it's the most tender part of who you are. When a horse is brought under bridle, they put that bit in the most tender part of that mouth. And that horse becomes sensitive to that leading and guiding. Just a little touch of the reins. I've even seen horse competitions where they will the horse and, and the master sitting on the horse will come up there and somebody will, will be out there in front of the horse and go like this and like this. And that horse will go back and forth in this competition. And I've noticed that the riders will actually let the reins down because that horse is so trained to the master that he can just give a little nudge with his knees and that horse knows exactly where to go. <clears throat> Are you a war horse for Christ? Sensitive to every... Slight twitch of the reins. When you are meek and compliant and willingly in the Lord's hands, and you know that your eternal eternity is settled, you will have no fear, and you will leap with joy into the battle. And an opportunity to learn even more meekness. The second thing I would like to show you about meekness today is that meekness primarily has the idea of being teachable. And you've already seen that. Take my yoke upon you. Being trained and taught. But we see this in other places in the scriptures. So let's look at that a little bit more. Psalms 25.9 The meek will he guide in judgment and the meek Will he teach his way? You see, you have to be meek. And you will be meek if you're born in the Spirit. But you also need to develop more meekness. To be teachable is to be meek. you ever known anybody that was not teachable? I've known a few in the workplace. And... They're the most difficult people to deal with, particularly if you're trying to work with them because working together is always about learning together. <clears throat> to be meek is teachable. And what is this way? Psalm 25, 9 says, The meek will he teach his way. What is that way? Well, in the, here in the sermon, in chapter 7 and 13, what is he trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us to enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. 
and many, many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way. He's teaching the meek will learn the narrow way which leads to life. And you know how many find it? Few. Few. You would think if the world really understood what's about to happen to this planet and the eternity that's about to be opened up for every soul, if they knew that, if they really understood it, they'd be, they'd be this place would be packed. Few there be that find it. One of the things that we must learn is that part of this being taught is a way of suffering. This meekness means that we are submissive to the suffering that we're going to have to endure. When we are in this narrow way and we've been given this grace to obey Him, we're going to find that this way of life is not easy. And yet it's the most joyful way of all ways to live. You want to be really happy. Strive to enter in at the narrow gate, which is Jesus Christ. He's the only way. So that you can be on the narrow way. It's not a broad gate and a narrow way. And it's not a narrow way and a broad gate. It's a broad gate and a broad way and a narrow gate and a narrow way. This way is not easy. There is difficulty in every duty in the exercise of grace. There is difficulty in every duty and in this exercise of grace that you're given. Why is that? Because this grace that is given to those who are born of the Spirit is contrary to the world. And it brings resistance. Meekness, humility, the world doesn't like that. And as that grace is produced in you, your sin that you still have in you doesn't like it either. And that's why it's difficult to exercise this grace. The difficulty in being meek is primarily from our own corruption, our own sin, our own selfishness. And those around us are not going to like it either if we bring forth true meekness. Even if they don't openly persecute us, they're not going to like it. There's going to be resistance. Brothers and sisters, our hands are heavy and our knees are weak. And we need each other to help bear each other up to bring forth these true graces of strength in our life. And so the bringing forth of these graces in the world naturally will produce suffering. And that suffering comes from the private emptying of faith I spoke of. 
to seeing our destitute condition, our grieving and mourning. And so we will come to see that this suffering is for our good. Meekness is submitting to the suffering in joy and saying, Lord, thank you for helping me to understand meekness because I, would I wouldn't learn it if I didn't have to suffer. In our study in 1 Peter, there's some astonishing teaching going on here too. But do you know that everything in the New Testament is an exposition of the Sermon on the Mount? If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1. We've been saved, begotten again to this living hope. These graces are being produced in us. We have an inheritance. We're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And so we rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in Heaviness through manifold trials and pressures. That the trial of your faith, this faith that is producing meekness in your life, is more precious than gold, which will melt when God melts everything. And this faith is tried with fire. And so as, you produce, as these graces are being produced in your life, conflict's going to arise, suffering's going to arise, that trial is going to purify your faith more and more, and it's going to be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We show by our faith and by these graces we're bringing forth that Christ is our treasure. And that's why we can... In the midst of trial, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We see that as suffering is being produced through these graces, we say, I must be born again then if this is really happening. The Lord said this was happening, it's really happening, so wow, this is true. We see this also in Ephesians 4. Here's another exposition of the grace of meekness. In Ephesians 4. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of this vocation that you're called. Your Christian calling. You're to walk worthy of it. You're called to meekness and humbleness and poorness. With all, and what does he say in verse 2? With all lowliness and meekness. With long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul's going through this instruction. This entire 4, 5, and 6 is teaching us how to be meek and humble and loving towards one another. So that you can be steadfast in the faith. And one of the reasons is to keep you from being tossed about to and fro by every wind of doctrine and everything that's going on in the world. Have you been emotionally distraught this week? Something happened and you got upset. You're overwhelmed with emotion over some difficult person in your life or some event at work. When you're grounded in meekness, you can say, Lord, thank you for sending me this trial. Thank you for sending me this difficult person. I'm going to get right in their face 
and see what you want me to learn. Help me to ask the right questions, Lord. Why are you being so evil? Why, why are you being so difficult? I'm trying to be your friend. I'm trying to help you. How can you be meek in the face of resistance? The, the more strength we get in being meek, strength under control, emotions under control, thinking under control, understanding the truth of the Word and grounded in that, we won't be tossed to and fro in the storms of life. Are you teachable? Or do you know it all? As we get older, sometimes we think, there's a tendency as we get older to think that we know more than others know. But I'll tell you one of the things I've learned about sin and my nature, and the more I study this book is, I don't know very much at all. And it seems like the more I study the Bible, I realize I know just very little. Are you learning this grace of meekness towards the most difficult people you know? You know, we have a tendency to avoid opportunities to grow in grace. Because we're addicted to comfort. We're addicted to avoidance mentality. And now some people are prone to conflict and some are prone to avoid conflict. I know that. I can see that in the difference between my family and my wife's family. And you probably have some of those dynamics as well. And I'm not saying that there aren't times we don't need to avoid people. There are. And that's why we need wisdom. Well, isn't it amazing? That's what James is teaching us. James chapter 1. Y'all been hearing a couple of studies on that, haven't you? Here lately? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different kinds of trials and pressures. That sounds like madness to the world. What do you mean? Rejoice in trials and conflict. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. You know that patience is born out of meekness? Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. This is what Paul says, and he learned how to be content in every situation, whether hungry or full, rich or poor. But as this grace of patience is being brought forth in your life and the grace of meekness and as you encounter resistance in this world, you're going to need a lot of wisdom. You're going to need wisdom on how to deal with the difficult people, the difficult situations, the difficult circumstances. If any of you like wisdom, well, James tells us right there. If any of you like wisdom, ask God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given. You need wisdom how to deal with that person? Are you asking for wisdom? It says, it shall be given you. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven 
with the wind and tossed. Let not that person think that they shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know that is the theme of James is double-mindedness. He returns to that theme of wisdom and asking wisdom again at the end of chapter 3. He said, but the wisdom that comes from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good, without partiality or hypocrisy. But then he comes into chapter 4 and he talks about the reason why you don't have peace is because of your lust. And you don't have your desires under control. You don't have this grace of meekness in your life where you've brought your mind, your thinking, your heart, and your will in submission to God. And it results in war and lust and fighting in the congregation. And he just stops there and he says, the reason why all this is happening is because you're a friend of the world and the world is at war with God. And if you love the world, you are a whore. That's what he says right there. You're an adulterer and an adulteress. If you love the world more than you love Christ, then you're an adulterer at heart. You know, in the Old Testament, one of God's complaints against Israel was that they... uh, would come to the worship house on Sunday, and then during the week they would go out and under every green tree. They would worship under every green tree. And I think in America we do the same thing, except we worship under every green TV. We're going to need this grace of meekness to be able to teach others who are in danger of hellfire. We have people we know in our families who are in danger of eternal hellfire. And in 2 Timothy 2.25 he says, We need in meekness instructing. Not only do we need meekness to be taught, we need meekness to teach. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And that's what we're praying right now for an elder that has been cast out of a church for heresy. And as older men have gone to him in meekness, trying to do that, he has not responded yet, so we pray that he will. The best teachers are meek teachers. The best teachers are meek teachers. So what meekness is not? Let's just look at the opposite of meekness now. What is the opposite of meekness, do you think? Pride. The mother's sin. Satan's mother's sin. The mother's sin of your first parents when Satan went and said, you know what, you can be just like God. You can make up your own rules. You can have your own commandments. Live however you want to. You can decide today whether you're male or female. All of that madness comes from pride and thinking that 
I'm God. That's the opposite of meekness. Meekness is understanding He's God, I'm not. Psalm 147.6 The Lord lifts up the meek. Hallelujah! He lifts up the meek. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Psalms 10.4 The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Because he's God. God doesn't exist. I am God. They are unteachable. They will not. Unbroken pride. They don't think of God because they think they don't need Him. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And the first thing on the list is what? Pride. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy in the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. The Father hates pride. It's the opposite of meekness. First John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Desires of the flesh, food, sex, clothing, looking cool, desires of the eyes, pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Whenever our pride is offended, what is the emotional response that happens? Yeah. Anger is pride offended. There's a natural disposition that we all have to react in anger. Because we know better. Our judgment's right and yours is wrong. And that's not the place of meekness. So we have to be careful with how we respond emotionally. Our judgment needs to be in submission to His judgment first. There is a patience, a patience of understanding in the raising of our children that they've got to make mistakes or they're not going to learn. And one of the most painful things to do as a parent is to let them make mistakes. Because we made those mistakes and we don't want them to have to make the mistake, but that's how we learned. And so meekness, even in parenting and not getting angry, sometimes letting our kids make a mistake so they can suffer the consequences so that true learning can take place. The next thing meekness is not is it's not weakness. I think we've already demonstrated that. But just to give you an example, Jesus Christ, the meekest, the perfect man, perfectly meek, was the strongest man to ever live. 
And that war horse laid down his life because he understood the big picture. He did not resist. He laid down his life on the battlefield for a greater good for his people so that the battle, the great battle, would be won. This is the same Christ, though meek, took a whip and drove some folks out of the temple one time. So meekness is not weakness. In fact, meekness is the pinnacle of strength. Because when you have your intellect and your emotions and everything under control, you can reason with the most hardened atheist and conquer the fallacies of their logic with the truth of the Word of God. How does meekness produce happiness? It keeps you on an even keel so that you're not tossed to and fro has already been mentioned but to give a verse Proverbs 3 5 through 8 this has got to be true in every moment of your life trust in the Lord with all your heart don't lean to your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him you are in control of this situation Lord I am not and he shall direct your paths Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't try to overthink it. Don't try to fix it. Sometimes we have sleepless nights because we're trying to fix things by thinking it, thinking it, thinking it, thinking it. Right? Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. And it shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. And you'll get a good night's rest. We'll be like Peter who is chained. To guards, and he was sleeping so soundly that the angel had to whack him on the side to wake him up. What are the hindrances to meekness? Already mentioned that, really. Screen time. Mayo Clinic says that screen time has been linked, whatever the screen is, any screen, it's been linked to obesity. Inadequate sleep schedule, insufficient sleep, behavior problems, delays in language and social skills, violence, attention deficit problems, and less time learning. There is no oxygen for meekness to breathe in America. The only place you can find this pure, rarefied air is in the presence of Christ, which I heard a minister say this week was boots on praying. He talked about boots off praying. Boots off praying is when you're going on a walk, you're driving down the road, and you're praying. He said, There's times you've got to put your boots on and get on your face in your closet and pray with all your strength. God, help me to be meek. Let this grace produce in me these qualities so I can be truly happy and strong. Just glancing through Thomas uh, Brooks' work yesterday on prayer, he said, a quarter hour of a day 
spent in the presence of eternity in prayer with your master would transform your life. Fifteen minutes a day in your closet where you are really entering in through the veil, through the wardrobe at the back of the closet. And that presence will transform your life. Just 15 minutes, he said. 15 minutes would sober us up from the intoxicating spell of ease and comfort in this land. I see so many people at work. People are on phones while they're supposed to be working. I see in the parks when there's nature all around. I've said this before. It seems like we're locked in a B science fiction movie and everybody's uh, like the Pied Piper are in a trance wasting their lives in video games and in spellbinding witchcraft. It can't be called anything other than that. And we as believers cannot waste our life doing that. Meekness will enable us to have the strength to use tools for the glory of God. Right? It grieves me to see so many wasting their lives today. Five minutes after death, will we say to the Lord of the universe, I spend every night playing games and watching clean TV with my family because I love them so much. Will that make Christ look like a treasure to our neighbor? Do we look different than our neighbor looks? When we sit down to enjoy recreation, and I think we need it. I do. But when we sit down to enjoy it, we need to be asking the questions. How is this going to set my heart on fire for Christ? How is this going to edify me? How can I use this for God's glory? Maybe it's we watch it and then we open the Bible and we say, what was that teaching? And have a discussion. Bring it back to the truth. And we harness that and bring our minds, hearts, and passions under control and not let what we're watching manipulate our passions in the wrong direction. Those that are maker are going to inherit the earth, brothers and sisters. Just a few verses on that. I don't know everything that means, but it sounds pretty wonderful, doesn't it? <laughs> inherit the earth? Wow. I think there's a sense where we've already inherited it. Because we have the ability to enjoy creation in a way that the evolutionist doesn't. He looks at it and he sees a big accident. We look at it and we see something. My father made that for me. Oh, smell the honeysuckle. Wow! Isn't that great? My father made that for me. Psalms 25, 13. His soul shall dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the earth. That's Jesus Christ. His seed shall inherit the earth. Evildoers, Psalms 37, shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they 
shall inherit the earth. Same psalm. The meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Same psalm, verse 22. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth. And Isaiah, in 60, Isaiah 66, Isaiah looking down through the quarters of time by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make, Christ speaking through Isaiah, I'm going to make a new heavens and a new earth which will remain before me, so shall your seed and your name remain. There's coming a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no sin for those that are in the kingdom now. It's challenging to be meek, isn't it? It's challenging to harness this There's so many other things to talk about. Mortification to keep the old nature down. The harnessing of our passion, our emotions, our mind. It's difficult. But we have Jesus Christ as our example of meekness to follow after. And that's why He said, come to Me. Are you weary and heavy laden? Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. This Christ made Himself of no reputation. Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity, eternal, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, who by His very life-giving force, energy, is the reason why you're alive and breathing right now sitting on the pew. That one became poor for your sake so that you might become rich. He humbled Himself. He poured Himself out of whatever that was He was before in heaven, eternal, into a man's body and became humble, poor, and meek and obedient unto death, the death of the cross. And this one, whenever they were mocking Him and spitting on Him, Peter tells us there in chapter 2, He did no sin. While they were mocking on Him and spitting on Him and punching Him in the face. He did no sin, neither was there any guile found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judges righteously. We follow that example. When that's coming at us, because we believe in Christ, we got to endure it. Take it patiently. We don't respond in like kind. He's going to teach us in Sermon on the Mount and turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. And so as we think about this grace of meekness, strength under control, what does your past week look like? Are you cultivating meekness in your life? Are you experiencing joy and blessedness of trusting your trainer? In every moment, in every irritation, everything that is friction in your life, Maybe the Holy Spirit is here now. And that inward call is coming to you deep in your soul. And you're seeing the beauty of Christ and the beauty of this way of life. You know, there are many people who see the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of this way of life who are strangers to the Christ of the gospel. There's many who will even bring their life in conformity to all of the beautiful aspects of character and disciplines and never know Christ. 
Do you know Christ? Maybe you're realizing for the first time that this world is not producing the joy that you're seeking and that the pleasures of this world are just leaving you empty and void. Well, it's time to give it up. It's time to repent. It's time to confess. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to thy cross I cling. Take his yoke upon you. Submit to his training and obey him. Who, where else are you going to go? You know, I always love Peter. To whom shall we go? Are you going to say that Satan's in control of the cancer? Or would you rather have a sovereign God in control of the cancer? If God so chooses and you've got to raise grandkids, are you going to love this Christ? Are you going to be able to live in blessedness? What happens when the preacher apostatizes and leaves? What are you going to do? You're going to follow Christ. You're not following a preacher anyway. What happens when the United States falls and the dollar is worthless? We're going to follow Christ because we got treasure. We got treasure in heaven. Well, I pray that the Lord would bless you to know Him and to experience the joy and the blessedness of meekness laying humbly at His feet and being able to say, Lord, whatever happens this week, I know You're in control of it. And that gives me confidence and joy. And I can submit to the suffering in that moment because I know it's teaching me something better and it's preparing my soul for that moment when I'm separated from this body. May God bless His Word.